Digital Audio Health by Cymatrax. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you believe that there is more to life than what you see right now and you want to find out more, listen in as her guests share their journey and their extraordinary experiences. Now, here is your host, Rhonda Grant. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show. Sometimes the universe has a way of placing people or obstacles in your path to help guide and direct you on your mission. Listen in as we discover the path my guest has traveled. Has he been inspired by a calling, crafted his journey, or a bit of both? I invite you to embrace the conversation and to use it to help you to recognize if this is happening in your life. Our guest today is Joseph McGuire, who is a facial profiler, body language expert, and author. Joseph has developed his skills, understanding, and awareness over the past 40 years and brings a spirit of curiosity to all his engagements. His intention is always to leave others feeling better about themselves for having met him and better equipped to create exceptional relationships in all areas of their life. Welcome to the Rhonda Grant Show, Joseph. Oh, thank you, Rhonda. I'm honored to be here. Well, it's so nice to have you on the show. You are originally from Ireland, and I wondered if you could let our audience know a little bit about your background, what it was like for you growing up in Ireland and what you studied when you were there. Sure. Well, I yes, I am Irish. I was born here. I'm, I'm back living here, but I was away for eight years, and I will live in other countries in the future. But um, I grew up in what I would describe as a very monoculture monochrome country very very conservative irish catholic background and that was the general culture at the time um i basically just went through i went through the normal schooling process here which for us would be national school primary school secondary school which would be the equivalent of your what middle school high school etc in the in the us um i didn't go to university i i went into i went into a basically a job uh shortly after mm-hmm. leaving school. Uh, I really didn't know what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be. I just knew I didn't see anything in the world around me that fitted. I, I, I'd always felt like, I always felt different from from early childhood. Like nothing in the world that I was seeing around me really made sense. Yes. Um, so I didn't have a clear direction, but it was, um, I, I was always a voracious reader. It was one of the great gifts my parents gave me that they, they, they had a love of reading. They, they introduced me to the local library as soon as I could read. So I was borrowing any and every book I could get my hands on and reading anything and everything. But I was, I gravitated, I, I guess, particularly towards um, books around people who were different, people who were involved in mysticism or um, had, had, had different historical lives or um, had, had, had in some cases had, um, how can I put it? who were philosophers or had in, yeah. in some cases developed their own, their own very individualistic approach to life. Um, mm-hmm. some, sometimes, sometimes that was a positive life and sometimes it wasn't, but I just read anything and everything. And it was really um, when the, 
the job I was working in, which was then a record and tape distribution company, which which ages me because <laughs> back in the original days of vinyl and four track and eight track and all of that. The um, old eight track. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I do remember them. And um, it was only when that job closed and I was I was made redundant and I had the money. I was able to I was able to leave Ireland and do what something I'd wanted to do for many years, which was to go to Israel and spend time on a kibbutz. I'd known various people who'd done it. And I'd, mm -hmm. as, as part of my reading, I, I, I loved history. And, I, again, and what I, was that? What was that, Joseph? What you said a word. One? You said a word there that I didn't pick up there. Uh, you went to kibbutz. OK, kibbutz. Yes. Um, it, when in, in terms of the process of the founding of the state of Israel, there were two. What 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 basically happened was that groups of of Jews, and this was obviously before they became Israelis, got together and they formed two. They, they bought parcels of land from the from the local the Arabs. And um, what they, they they formed two different kinds of settlement. One was called a moshav, which was where people um, people could could start their own business, etc., and earn their money, keep it for themselves. And then the kibbutz was was more a collectivist, I guess. A, I guess what you would call a socialist kind of idea, where okay. the where they had, there were various businesses on the kibbutz, but everything was was put into the collective pot, so to make sure everybody was fed, clothed, etc collective you know collective education for the children etc right and the yeah. and both both types of uh both types of um community would would have volunteers coming from different countries to to spend time there work there etc and as i say i i knew various people who'd been to israel to spend time in a kibbutz i'd, I'd read a lot about the the history of the founding of the state of israel and it, it resonated with me because i Growing up in Ireland, I was again. I read a lot of Irish history, and Ireland had been occupied for eight hundred years. So I had this sense of the underdog, okay, and people who were repressed and colonized. And so I, I, I associated that with the founding of Israel, and particularly after the Holocaust, etc. And so that drew me to Israel, and it was it was in Israel that I was introduced to people of so many different cultures. As I said, I came from a very monocultural country, mm -hmm. and uh, Ireland, for all of the mythology about it about being this green and pleasant land, can be very grey, and, and there can be a lack of sunshine. So to be in a place where there was glorious sunshine, the colours the colours were changing every day, and and the mix of cultures just open opened me in a whole different way to to realizing there's a whole different, literally a whole different world out there, but in so many different dimensions. Mm hmm. And so what did you actually do while you were there? It was hard physical labor, but it was great fun. Um, okay. Most of the time I worked in what were called what were the banana fields, where um, what we would what we would refer to as a bunch of bananas, which would might might be five or six bananas together. They referred yes. to as a hand. And, oh. and, and what they referred to as a bunch was the whole the, the whole series of on, on, on a, a big thick branch so mm -hmm. we would be we would be we would be working um in the banana fields for sometimes eight to ten hours a day and you could be and each 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 uh, as we call it each bunch as we call it could be could be anywhere between 25 and 50 kilos and you were you were just hauling them loading them onto wagons all day mm -hmm. 
you know, uh, five, five, six days a week. So it was hard physical labor, but I was very fortunate in that I worked with great people where we had a lot of fun, a lot of laughter. And we just enjoyed, we just enjoyed the experience. So, um, and, and we had a lot of free time as well. So we, it was just it being like, I was what, 23 at the time. So it was just for me, it was just a wonderful adventure. Mm-hmm. And how long did you stay there? I stayed there for uh, just under six months. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I realized that at a certain point it was time to go. And that was when I moved from Israel to London. And London was where my, my real studies began because um, I that was where I started to learn about reading faces. That was where I trained initially as a shiatsu practitioner. But the when I was introduced to reading faces, like I was introduced to it as a diagnostic tool, one of the diagnostic tools used in traditional oriental medicine. But I had been reading people since I was a small child. I'd been reading body language, et cetera. I could, I could tell a lot about people's character just from observing them. Mm-hmm. And so when I was introduced to face reading, and the Chinese perspective was always that the mind and the body are one inseparable unit. Um, this was just like, I'm home. Now this, now I've found something that makes so much sense to me that I can at least begin to explain what it is I do, what the, the knowledge I have, the understanding I have. And I could use facial diagnosis as a, as a tool for explaining it, even though it's strictly speaking, wasn't actually what I was doing. But it gave me a, it gave me a structure to explain things to people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, children, um, there are some children when they're growing up, is that's what they pay attention to, and they know if mom or, mom or dad is angry based on uh, what they pick up, how they walk, uh, their vibrational frequency as well, right? Yeah, ultimately, it is all about vibrational frequency. That's like we talk, I I can talk about the visual signs, but the reality is for every one of us, uh, no matter what our culture is, no matter whether we're male, female, or or otherwise, um, because obviously there are various genders uh, Mm -hmm. these days, but our, our whole body is an antenna, and the whole body is continually transmitting and receiving. Most people aren't conscious of it. But our body is picking up vibrations from people and places. And when we allow ourselves to be conscious of it, when we when we pay our attention to what our body is telling us, like we talk about things like gut feeling, for example, but most people um, aren't attuned to it and then will often second guess themselves when they do get a gut feeling. But when we do pay attention to things like gut feeling, then there's so much information available to us that actually helps prepare us to engage more effectively with other people. Mm-hmm. Very contemplative. Um, yes, I mean, there's a lot of people who are not in touch with themselves and so have a hard time getting in touch with other people or uh, they become reflective of what other people are doing. Like if people are angry with them, then they elevate and they're angry back. So um, a lot of people don't have control of their vibrational frequency because they don't have an understanding how their energy affects other people. Can you speak to that? Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, we, we don't learn this as children. 
we should be we should be learning this and i, I used should is one of those words i use very seldom but it is mm -hmm. it is a, it's a very potent word and it it um it can it, it, it can impact on people in different ways but this is these are things we should be learning we should be learning body awareness we should be learning meditation uh we should be learning self-awareness um how to manage our emotions how to engage more effectively how to communicate how to present ourselves we should be learning all these things as children because the damage that has been inflicted I'll, I'll, again I'll, I'll use that word selectively but mm -hmm. uh, the, the damage that has been inflicted on so many people because sure, we haven't been. learned that we haven't learned that and there's been so many generations where people have been passing their own their own wounds on to their you know their children their grandchildren etc oh, and yeah. so it behoves any of us who have at least some degree of awareness of of these things to share those share that awareness to share the skills we have to help people um, present and communicate and engage much more effectively and to begin i guess yeah, i guess to begin a healing process really but to also transcend the beginning of the healing process because uh one of the i may be going slightly off tangent here but, no this is um, good i love it <laughs> one of the one of the things i've learned over the because i worked as a therapist for 30 years Okay. And one of the things, and, and a lot of my, a lot of my clients, my patients were therapists of from various different backgrounds. And one of the things I have learned over the years is that many therapists haven't really mastered these things or haven't really taken them on in many respects, and are and they they often keep their clients and their patients going around as it were on a treadmill, rather than uh -huh. helping them to helping them to to transform and to become more more fully who they're capable of being because we're all capable of being more however whatever state we're in whatever level of awareness we've we've attained we're all capable of more mm -hmm. and unfortunately so many of us get stuck at, at way be way below what we're really capable of of, of achieving and attaining and sharing mm -hmm. and that makes me uh, think about dr joel bryant and uh, I've interviewed him a couple of times on the podcast. Our listeners will know this. Uh, and he, one of his favorite sayings he has is, we ha humans have the cap capacity for immensity. And I, I just love that. Um, there's a lot of people uh, who have had uh, trauma in their life that may not realize that that trauma is affecting their whole life their relationships with everybody all the way down the line and even if they even if they do recognize it they may not have the bravery to face that again in order to heal from it right absolutely absolutely yes um i know in my own case a lot of my trauma was actually pre-birth because my my mother had various various traumas in her own life and also then while she was pregnant with me my father was seriously ill and it was expected that he would die so it was like i i, I can i can only barely begin to imagine how stressful that time was for for my mother right. so obviously i was in the womb so i was taking in all of her emotions and it was it was only many years later i actually learned that that was that was my experience but and then begin wow. to begin to deal with it but growing up 
I carry I carried that without being conscious of it, but I grew up with very little confidence and a lot of anger and no idea where it came from. So I was, and it was only like, I was probably well into my thirties when I began to be aware of it and began to start addressing it. Um, but I've certainly, again, when I was working as a therapist, I came across many people who had been traumatized and some of, some of what I like, uh, two of the, two of the modalities I worked with were hands-on mm-hmm. when I would, when I would put my hands on somebody, I would think like they may have made an appointment for a back problem or migraine or whatever it was. But right. once I put my hand on them, I would know what was really going on in their life and not the intimate details, but I would know instantly whether they'd been like traumatized and if they had been traumatized, what kind of trauma it was. And in many cases, obviously, I had to be very careful and very diplomatic in how I broached the topic because in many cases they weren't aware of it. And then in in, in some cases, and I, I found this actually even some, even with some hugely experienced and hugely qualified therapists who came to me for, for treatment, that they weren't, not only were they not aware, but when mm-hmm. they became aware, they weren't ready okay. to address their own stuff either. Mm-hmm. And we can't force that on anybody. We have to do, we have to approach it in a way that's gentle, kind, respectful, loving, but also very clear. Mm-hmm. how we communicate that with people mm-hmm. and a lot of the how i understand it is a lot of the aches and pains that we feel in our body is from our past absolutely absolutely particularly the ones that are deep-seated and that last that stay there for for any great length of time um it's like one of the one of one of my sayings i i I guess is that the body is a metaphor for how we are and the body is a great teacher the body teaches us pretty much anything we need to know about ourselves if we allow ourselves to tune into it um like i when i worked with people when i worked as again as a therapist Mm -hmm. i used to do a lot of um dialogue with the body uh i i I initially started working with like i don't know if you've come across the animal totems Oh, no, I haven't. Oh, please tell. Beautiful work. Basically, the it's, um, I, it's a long time since I worked with it. So I'm probably not describing it with with great accuracy. But the the basic idea is that um, in in the Eastern in the Eastern tradition, we have seven centers, seven chakras. And we could we could describe as as each of those chakras as as a as a point on the totem pole. Okay. And what you can do, what we can do is we can start, we can start pretty much anywhere on the, on any of those seven points, partic- depending on where the, where the person feels the particular discomfort. Okay. And we can ask them to tune into that place and bring their attention into it. And then we can build it up. Like I, I, I also brought in aspects of NLP. I know yes. like a previous guest, Stuart was talking about NLP, but mm-hmm. I always, to, 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 to get the diet, to, to allow the dialogue to build and be effective. I would mm-hmm. ask them to tune into that. What was the what was the feeling in the place I I, I was holding into, and I brought their attention into? Um, if if it had a color, what color would it be? If it had a voice, what kind of voice would it would it speak with? What tone of voice? And then, if it were a creature, what kind of creature would it be? And it, that could be the creature could be a bear, it could be a tiny mouse, 
um, depending on what was going on for the person. And right. over over a period of session, you build up you build up a, a relationship with with the, with the creature, whichever creature it was. And then over a period of sessions, you'd gradually work your way through the seven the seven chakras, and each one would have a would have a creature. And and it could be like one. So you could have a mouse in one, you could have a bear in the next one, and gradually you'd build up a communication between them. And the, the process is designed to create alignment so that they're all seven centers are working together in harmony. And they're working to support the individual, to encourage the individual, to empower the individual, rather than so often people feeling disempowered or disconnected and bringing them into a place of awareness from from deep inside themselves because really what we're doing is we're connecting them with their deep subconscious and we're not we're not telling them what they should be doing we're allowing them to discover it from deep within themselves so that's what that that's what that approach is is, is about and it's helping people to resolve in many cases resolve deep trauma in a very gentle um, non-intrusive way Hmm. And so does this mean that they do not have to go back and revisit that trauma one more time? Is it that type of thing? That's the ideal. That's the right. ideal. It, it, That's the it, ideal. It, you know, it'll, it'll vary from person to person. Um, and it's some, sometimes the, the release is like just instantaneous mm -hmm. um, because it's the, it's the point of awareness that really matters. And the, yes. the awareness, and it's bringing them into the awareness that what happened happened. It's not still happening, and it's that feeling or that thinking that it's still happening is where we get stuck. That I'm oh, still okay. carrying, still carrying that old the, the burden of that pain, and it's not that it's not yeah. that we're it's not that we're ignoring the fact that something in many cases something horrendous happened that should never have happened. It's not. It's not disrespecting that memory or the the experience in any way. It's not. You know. Uh, it's not. It's not disavowing the experience. It's recognizing. Yes, it happened, mm -hmm. but you're no longer that same person. Mm -hmm. You're physically your cells have changed, but the cells have have held on to the memory. But with new awareness, you can move forward into your life in a in a way that has you feeling very empowered rather than disempowered. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is very interesting. And, and I don't think that people realize that these types of traumas, whether small or big, that uh, they do live in our cells. Absolutely, they do, yes. Um, and like if you look at the work of Dr. Gabo Mate, for example, <clears throat> yes. um, he, has, he has shown that, and the research he quotes, the research he has studied, has demonstrated that time and time and time again. Unfortunately, most most doctors, whether you and I'd use that the term, it's a broad term. Whether it's doctors of you know general mm -hmm. medicine or doctors of psychiatry or you know specialists, um, simply too busy to read a lot of the research. They 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 do have very busy schedules, very busy lives, and and it would be it would be impossible for them to read all the research that's out there mm -hmm. but the reality the reality is and it has been it has been clinically proven time and time again that our cells hold 
not always necessarily the memory in a conscious sense because memory can be distorted, but you can't but hold the impact of of the trauma. Mm -hmm. And it's the impact, it's the impact as much as the memory that we're looking to change. In fact, even even more than the memory. And when you say even more than the memory. Yeah, because we can change, we can change, like we can use techniques, we can use like, yes. and go, reverting back to your, your, your former guest, Stuart, who's a, a great friend of mine, mm -hmm. like you can use, you can use hypnotherapy, you can use, um, you can use various NLP techniques to, um, what's, what's the term, I think the term is to, to distort memory. Memory can be distorted anyway. Like we don't, we don't sure. necessarily remember things as, as they actually happened, but we can, we can change our understand or our perception of the memory. That's relatively easy. But unless we change the impact of the of whatever the trauma was, people will tend to revert back. As you know, that's one of the questions you were asking a few moments ago. People will often turn to revert back into the pattern, the behavior pattern, the belief pattern, the actions that follow from. Like, oh yeah, I st I'm still holding that that trauma, even if it's not even if it's not that they're consciously holding it. Mm -hmm. Well, boy, uh, what a wonderful therapy that you're able to do uh, for people because um, you know uh, we don't we don't get out of this world by not having a car accident. Um, you know, all sorts of things can happen to us in our lives, uh, even past the time where we leave our parents, where um, what they went through and how they've built, how they respond to things, which is passed on. We don't realize it's passed on, but it is passed on unless you heal from that, that type of uh, situation. Um, but it's other things that cause trauma, trauma. And even as you said, before you were even born, you had trauma in the womb because based on what your mom was going through at the time. Absolutely. Yes. And that was one of the, one of the great joys when I was working as a therapist. Uh, one of the, one of the modalities I worked with was uh, craniosacral therapy, which yes. is a particularly gentle form of therapy. And it allowed me to work with people of all ages but I especially loved working with young babies. And when, when babies came so often, they were carrying trauma, okay. whether, it was from, whether it was from time in embryo or whether it was the birth itself or something happened after the birth. So to be able to work with babies and release that trauma and feel experience the baby going from being really, really angry, really, really upset, uh, mm -hmm. Or really physically, physically almost knotted up to just you could you could see them the body opening up almost you could often see their arms just spreading out, and then they would take a big. Mm. You could actually hear them breathing out like a massive sigh, and and then they would often start humming. And to know that to know that the baby was suddenly, had suddenly released whatever it was they Release. were holding, and yeah. then. Then you could see the relief in the parents and the the, the difference, of, the impact that made on the family because it it eased so much stress on the parents and in the family as well. Mm -hmm. So it had the, it had those lovely lovely ripples that spread out. So um, and that that like to work with babies was just such a such a privilege, such a blessing. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Wow. I hope the listening audience felt what I felt uh, when you were talking about that, because I had goosebumps all over my body that that was possible to heal a baby uh, from the trauma, uh, from womb, womb trauma. Um, what, what other things uh, does cranial work help? Gosh, um, again, I'm like I, I I'm I'm no longer working as a therapist. Okay, you're so, not so, working. So, okay. so it's like at a, at a certain point, like about what back in what 2015 or thereabouts, yeah. My body, my body reached a point where it said no more. That's it. Because because I had a lot of unresolved stuff of my own, that was, mm-hmm. and also the last the last few years of working as a therapist, I got a reputation for being very good at deep tissue work. Okay. And yes. So. As some of the people, some of the people I was working on, I might as well have been trying to massage a table. Oh, <laughs> really? Like their, their muscles were so taut. But, but, but again, yeah, I don't, I don't but, mean to laugh, but people yeah. are uh, really bottled up, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then I was picking that up and I was, fear, you know, I was getting absorbing that through my hands when I was working oh, on them. So at a certain point, my body just said, enough, can't do this anymore. Right on. Okay, why don't we move on then uh, mm-hmm. to uh, talking about uh, the next uh, one of the things that you studied. I'm not sure if it was the next thing, uh, but was is facial. Um, yeah, well, that goes back identification. to I, absolutely. That goes back like when I when I was living when I moved to London from Israel. That was when I I, I was introduced to facial diagnosis. So I've actually right. been working. I, for for many years, I was teaching it to um, to med- to healthcare professionals, okay. Uh, because I gave a lot of seminars and workshops. And uh, workshops initially, uh, I trained in London for like four and a half years. Then I moved to Hamburg in the north of Germany. Mm-hmm. So I was teaching people there. Then moved back to Ireland, and was was teaching it here. And um, initially, I was teaching it as a diagnostic tool, but I was more and more fascinated by the going back to that oriental idea the mind that that the mind and the body are one inseparable unit Mm -hmm. so you're seeing the person revealed in the face their personality their behavior style their character stress Mm -hmm. triggers and responses and so much more and that Mm -hmm. was much more fascinating to me ultimately than the diagnostic side so i was bringing in more about the communication and relationship and, and personality aspects into what i was teaching so it was when when I, when I had to stop working as a therapist, um, the one thing I was trained to do was teach people to read faces. And I knew that a number of people in the US in particular had been working with it in a, in a business and corporate setting, legal setting as well. So I, I road tested it here with you know, invited business audiences and then developed a model for bringing it into business here. And that's what I've been particularly doing. But more and more now, um, it's kind of, I won't, I don't know whether to use the term evolve or, or revert it, but it has, it has to kind of, as I've emerged more fully, I guess, as myself and opened up more fully to life and more and more what I'm about now is helping people create exceptional relationships, starting from the inside out based around trust, respect, and and kindness. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, with the uh, facial uh, diagnostic, 
the police and the FBI, they, they also use this. And can you yes. talk to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, yeah, the, the various, um, the, 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 I just guess the criminal detection agencies of various kinds have mm -hmm. used, um, particularly body language, um, micro expressions, uh, facial expressions, um, face reading, um, as a means of helping them to read the behavior, uh, the behavior patterns of either whether actual criminals or suspected criminals, um, and to to develop the 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 most ideal and effective ways to communicate with people. And one of the one of the, like when we those of us who grew up watching movies and TV and watching like detective movies etc on 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 screen mm -hmm. um, we, we we tended to see this image of you know people being thrown up against walls and punched and threatened and all of that but the reality is the the most effective people doing investigation and interrogation were actually about people who use these skills to develop empathy and trust and respect and to develop conversational relationships with whether it was criminals or suspects, so that the the criminal developed a sense of ease and was more willing to reveal the information that the investigators needed. So that was such a that was such a pleasant surprise for me to realize that so mm -hmm. many of the, the the best investigators and interrogators were about building empathy, trust. And respect rather than trying to force anything to happen mm -hmm. it's just fascinating absolutely fascinating joseph you're listening to the Rhonda grant show right now whose podcast has been treated with digital audio health by my sponsor simatrax and today we're speaking with joseph mcguire joseph let people know how they may reach out and contact you Sure. Thank you, Rhonda. Um, yes, the, the, I'm most I'm most easily reached on LinkedIn. Um, so LinkedIn is where I'm where I'm most active. I do have a profile. Just look me up as Joseph McGuire. That's M C G U I R E. Um, I do have a website which is clearsightcommunications.com, mm -hmm. but I'm less active there. It does need updating. Um, I, you will find me on. Yeah, you know, I do have a Facebook page under Clearsight Communications. Um, but really LinkedIn is the best way to reach me. Wonderful. Thank you. What extraordinary discovery have you found in your life? I guess the big one, and it's still unfolding, is that life is actually a magical journey. And I guess on some level, I've always known it, but it's taken me a long time to open to that, to open to like one of the, well, we, we, we make so many discoveries in life and, and we're, we're either yes. open or we're not. But one of the one of the things I came across more recent years was the HeartMath Institute and the yes. HeartMath Institute have they have clinically proven that we have three brains, the one in the head that we were more conscious of. But we also have a brain in the gut and a brain yeah. in the heart. Yes. And, the, and there's actually they've measured it that there are more messages going up from the brain in the gut and the brain in the heart to the head than mm -hmm. vice versa. Yeah. So it's been 
the more I've listened to the heart and like, you know, traditionally we've associated the heart with love and, you know, love and romance, etc. But the heart is the center of joy and loving awareness. Um, it's the, in the, in the Chinese system, they use the word Shen and Shen is life spirit, uh -huh. uh, vitality, vitality, joy of living, joy of living. And when we open to our hearts and we begin to experience that and transmit it and communicate it and share it, then we experience the fact that even the simplest experience can be actually magical because mm -hmm. it is it is actually quite miraculous that any of us are here when you think about the like the potential for you know at the time of conception, etc. Oh um, yes. You know, it's it's unbelievable that we're actually you and I are here yeah. because of, of um, what happened in order for the egg to be um, fertilized. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so there's a, there's a common phrase that people say, and I really contemplated on it. It's called get out of your own way. And, and people just, you know, they say it, but I really don't think that people understand what that means. And for me, and let me know what your uh, feelings are around it, is that get the brain out of it and just go with the heart, go with the gut feeling. And that's how you get out of your own way, because your brain will tell you all day long not to do something or to yeah. do something you shouldn't be doing, right? Like, watching television when you should be doing something else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so much of, so much of that, that part of our processing, our habits, our conditioning is based around survival and survival sort of uh, intimates that things should remain the same because change could be difficult, could be dangerous. So um, once we, once we realize that and can step back from it, we realize, Oh, I'm not my conditioning. I'm not this image of who and what and how I thought I was or how I thought I should be. I have choice here. And it's like the, like the, the, the Carl Jung saying, I'm not what happened to me. I'm what I choose to become. And mm -hmm. realizing we have so much choice in terms of how we can be in the world, even who we can be. Now, I don't, oh, I, I, I obviously, I, I obviously recommend being very, very clear about our values, but in terms of the, Oh, yeah. that we often have so many um, illusions about our personality and the type of person we are and we will often behave according to those those illusions and we'll behave out of habit rather okay. than rather than out of the rather than out of present time awareness but mm -hmm. this this is now this is this is me now i have choice i have fresh choice as to how i can be in this situation here and that's part of the magic. That's part of where life just becomes magical to realize I don't have to behave however I behave. And even if it was a similar situation, you know, that, <clears throat> that I behaved in a particular way in the past, it does not mean I have to behave in any kind of similar way now. I have choice. But it's that moment, that moment of, of awareness that allows us to, you know, oh, I'm free to choose, mm -hmm. which is quite quite beautiful mm -hmm. because lots of times we feel like a ping pong right yeah oh gosh absolutely yes mm -hmm. yeah um 
what's the what's the um what's the what's the what's the the, the, the game you'll see in arcades with the with the flippers where the, you're flipping a ball to I can't remember the, the oh. name but but you know, the, yeah I, I I don't know the name of it either because yeah, I don't yeah. play it, but it's uh, yeah. pin pinball or something or yeah it's it's some yeah pinball exactly that's the yeah. one, pinball machine but yeah for for you know at different times in my life I felt like I was in a pinball machine just being bounced around yeah and, 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 and yeah and and for people that don't realize that you don't have to feel like that if you're feeling like that there you have choices to stop that to stop a conversation with somebody who's not that's not benefiting you or raising your anxiety you just stop responding yeah. to that person just stop responding yeah absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. and yeah and to, and it's to find to find whatever whatever is the next the next first step to changing it exactly because i know many people's like i wouldn't be facetious many people are in incredibly difficult circumstances where it may not be possible to change mm -hmm. you know a huge amount at one time mm -hmm. but it's to find and if if change is necessary what is the next first the next best first step i can take right and then then what's the next one after that and what's the next one after that yes yeah. do you feel that you've been called joseph your yes, journey mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it hasn't it hasn't always been a straightforward journey by any means no but it it becomes it becomes clearer not sim not so much necessarily in the intellectual sense but in the sense of i guess going back to that thing the heart the heart opening to joy and wonder and magic and simply being willing to step into that and embrace that whatever that may mean and i've no i don't I would never attempt to predict the future. Like, you know, I might have goals and intentions and, you know, people talk about new year resolutions and all of that, but I, I, I never want those to be like fixed in stone that it mm -hmm. has to be, it has to be this, or it has to be that mm -hmm. because the, for me personally, there has to be a willingness to, to flow forward, to adapt, to adjust. Mm -hmm. um, but, Wonderful. Yes. Simple answer to the question. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because some people uh, spend a lot of their life protecting themselves, which is protecting their heart. And uh, it's actually can be painful uh, when those barriers, when you allow those barriers to start coming down, when you can get in touch with the true essence of who you really are. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because so often we have built up, we've built walls around the heart and the, and it, it can feel like we're being disloyal to the pain, Oh, which is a curious, which is a curious phenomenon, but it is actually well known in like in therapeutic circles, mm -hmm. we feel a sense of loyalty to the pain. It almost becomes the pain as part of our identity which is oh it, yes it sounds it sounds weird but it is mm -hmm. actually the case for so many people and that this 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 pain is part of what has made them who they are and in a sense yes maybe but it's the learning and the stepping forward from the experience rather than the experience itself mm -hmm. so, because so, it's yeah. yeah because people um that's part of their story and if they let go of part of their story, then they may feel 
that they're letting go of part of their identity. Is this correct? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But to realize that we're not our story. The story is part of our experience, mm -hmm. but it's not, but it's not the identity. And, mm -hmm. the, and, and the story can be what limits us. Oh, yes. And again, that was one of the, that was one of the things my, I guess I learned from my mentor in particular. Yes. That the story is information. Mm -hmm. And how we choose to use the information is up to us, but it's not our identity. Mm -hmm. But there are people who take it on as their identity. Oh, gosh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I came across that again when I was working as a therapist. There were people who mm -hmm. came to me who were leaders in organizations to do with different ailments. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like the ailment was their badge of identity. Oh, yes. And I experienced it so often. They did not really want any significant change because then they would lose their identity. The, mm -hmm. the, 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 the being being the leader of the organization who had this condition gave them prominence, gave them notice, gave them attention. In some cases, gave them a significant salary. Oh, yes, so, I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so they became very like, you can understand the logic. Mm -hmm. but yeah. Equally, I could see that they were, they were significantly limiting themselves by that. But then, mm -hmm. you know, People are free to make those choices. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes uh, keeping that and having those types of things as your identity actually makes you ill. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. You don't yes. understand why you can't get out of bed or you're depressed or whatever. We yep. don't really take our lives and dissect it and, and figure out why we don't feel well. Right? Yep. We just keep yep. on going and say, that is separate from my life. That has nothing to do with what I'm doing or anything I'm holding inside right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And again, so much of that goes back to that, the fact that very, very few of, if any of us were taught any of that awareness, mm -hmm. certainly not as children and in many cases, yeah. not as adults either. No, it's the way our whole society is set up. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we can look, we can look at reasons for that. There's, there's no mm -hmm. money really when it comes down to it. There's no great money to be made in people doing really well. There's no money in that. Other, well, there's happiness, but there's, it's not lucrative. No, no, no. Right. Which isn't to say that there can't be other models developed. But mm -hmm. that, requ that requires exactly. a shift in, in awareness. Mm -hmm. And right now there is a whole shift in human consciousness. And so this might be where the future is actually going. One would hope. Absolutely. One would hope. Yeah. And and yeah. and again, it's we it, you know, there's a responsibility on on those of us who have whatever degree of awareness we have mm -hmm. to share that and to be open to realizing that you know we have our limitations and we we all can grow so much more. Oh yes. None of, none of us is the finished article in that sense. Yes, that's right. We have so much potential so much potential thank you so much for being a guest on the Rhonda grant show joseph it's just been so delightful informing and uh the topics that i'm totally interested in i didn't even know i was interested in the top some of the topics until you brought them up um 
So thank you so much. It's been fascinating and I've really enjoyed our time together. Oh, thank you, Lana. It's been an absolute honor. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Theme song for the Rhonda Grant Show is Sun on the Water, composed and performed by my friend John Park Wheeler. This is Rhonda Grant with the Rhonda Grant Show, author of Magical Forces Within, Extraordinary Discoveries in an Ordinary Life, inviting you to look for the magical forces within yourself today and every day. Thanks for tuning in to the Rhonda Grant Show with your host, Rhonda Grant. If you would like to find out more information about Rhonda and her upcoming guests and the work that she does, go to her website, rhondagrantauthor.com. That's rhondagrantauthor.com. Digital Audio Health by Cymatrax.